Welcome to the Vital Conversations podcast. We are broadcasting from the intersection of Christian faith and society. This podcast aims to inform and motivate people of faith on issues of social justice and concern. I'm your host, Jared Cunningham. Let's get started. We are officially in week seven of the Methodism series, and I think it has been going well, if I do say so myself. Not only do I say so, I've gotten great feedback from many of you, and I would like to take this moment to say thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. I'm really happy people are enjoying this podcast because I have to admit, I wasn't so sure about it at first, but the fact that you've taken the time to listen and continue listening means a lot. And maybe you're listening and we haven't spoken, that's fine too. Because if you are listening, it means you've heard something you've probably liked and decided to keep listening. And I mean, there is a lot going on. Just last week, there was a bonus episode that was a continuation of part three of the series A Journey Through Grace, which in itself is a refresh take on a sermon series that Brian did back in 2019. Are we multiversing? I feel like we're multiversing. Anyway, in addition to that, we've also had a chance to chat with some familiar faces like John Atchison, Janet Wheatley, and our very own Pastor Brian Johnson, and we've had a chance to meet new faces like Troy and Lindsay Oliveira. And all this has taken place since our first episode on the man, the legend, Mr. John Wesley. He's not really a myth. But in the first episode, some important topics were highlighted besides the life of John Wesley, and we've touched on some of those topics since then, except one. You know what it is based on the title, but before I get to that, we need to talk about Joshua. If you've been keeping up with all things Citrus, we've just wrapped up our sermon series on the book of Joshua. And now, I have to say, when Brian and I talked about this walkthrough of the Bible we were planning for 2022, it was way before we knew what the world would be like by March, where we see Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land and the conquest they go on as they reclaim what is theirs. It's very difficult to read when you're watching the continuing war in Ukraine as Russia unjustly aims to reclaim what is supposedly still theirs. However, what I've learned from this series is that God was still at work in a way we often don't consider. And the stories of Rahab and the spies, the fall of Jericho, the design of the cities of refuge, and the warnings of idol worship, we see that God is working to change the norms and customs of the day. And he's still working today to change our norms and our customs, and he's using us in the process. We are also instruments of change, and he's working from the inside out in all of us to share the image of Christ on earth. Which brings me to Christian perfection, a phrase John Wesley spoke about. In episode one, I gave a quick one-paragraph summary on what it is, but I really wanted to come back to it. Namely because those two words probably shouldn't be side by side. The immediate mention of those two words together could lead to one of two thoughts. Either A, the immediate response of, well, no one is perfect, or B, some who may think that in some way it's possible and that they are, in a sense, already flawless. I think it's fair to say that we struggle with the word perfect. In his sermon on Christian perfection, John Wesley says it best. The word perfect is what many cannot bear 
the very sound of it is an abomination to them. And whosoever preaches that it is attainable in this life runs great hazard of being accounted by them worse than a heathen or a publican. Even in the 1700s, there was this unease at the thought of perfection. However, where we may say no one is perfect, Steve Harper, author of The Way to Heaven, the book Brian's 2019 sermon series was based on, says, well, obviously not. If you mean perfection in terms of absolute purity or flawless performance. But Wesley did not use the term perfection in that sense. Notice that he modified perfection with the significant adjective Christian, which puts it in a new and attainable light. When putting together my research on John Wesley, I came across an article from Asbury University on Wesleyan holiness theology, which dramatically changes how we think of Christian perfection and its attainability. It says Wesley understood perfection in the theological sense as having to do with maturity of character and ever-increasing love for God. The New Testament word perfection translates from a Greek term that means maturity or completion. It does not mean flawlessness. From all of this, we get the idea that Christian perfection is not about being flawless, but maturing, which means something dramatically different for us. Now, I've spent the last minute or two quoting people and talking about perfection and how Christian perfection doesn't exactly mean perfect, but it means something different. Confusing, right? I believe I can clarify everything, but be warned, we will have to go through some dark territory because I think a good example of perfection and maturity is none other than the Dark Knight himself, Batman. Now, Maybe you're a Batman fan and you know the story. If not, here's the general short version. As a child, Bruce Wayne's parents are killed during a robbery, and he makes a vow to fight crime in Gotham City as the mass vigilante Bat. With the recent release of the movie, it seems only right to talk about one of my favorite superheroes. Now, perhaps you're wondering why Batman? Good question. Though he's fictional, he gives a good idea of what perfect as humanly possible can be. In the Arkham video game series, this is how Batman is described. He is trained to a physical and mental peak. He has an arsenal of gadgets, vehicles, and advanced technology. He's an inventor and a detective, and he has a genius-level intelligence. He's an expert in most known forms of martial arts. He's trained in all aspects of criminology. He's a master of physical sciences. He's a computer expert. He's a master of disguise. He has a photographic memory. He's trained in stealth and espionage techniques. He's an expert escape artist. He does not use firearms and he does not kill. In my opinion, that sounds like the perfect crime fighter. However, a few Batman stories point out that as prepared and knowledgeable as he may be, he still has things to learn. Take the new Batman movie. The Batman. In it, he is in his second years of vigilante and is on a mission to uncover who the Riddler is and stop him at all costs because he's a crime fighter and he has a calling to bring criminals to justice. However, in his efforts to stop the Riddler, he learns that he must not only stop crime, but he must also be a symbol of hope for the city he loves, showing that though he has these skills, he must mature and be more. Or, Take the classic Batman tale, The Long Halloween. Again, set in his second year fighting crime, Batman and Commissioner Gordon are put on the trail of a criminal known as Holiday. 
Long story short, and without completely giving away a great story, it's mentioned towards the end that there are actually two suspects, the possibility of two holidays. However, Batman and Commissioner Gordon dismiss the idea because the evidence says otherwise, as far as they can see. It is later revealed that there truly is a second person committing the crimes, also known as Holiday. Again, we see Batman missing the big picture. As skilled and trained as he may be, the epitome of what the perfect crime fighter could be, there are still things that the world's greatest detective must learn in order to mature and fulfill his mission to rid Gotham City of crime. The same is true for us when it comes to Christian perfection. It doesn't mean that we always get it right. It's the way in which we grow in our faith and grow closer to God throughout our lives. As I've come to understand it, Christian perfection is the lifelong process by which we grow closer to God and reflect that growth and maturity in the love of God to others. Another important thing to note is that Christian perfection is built on will. As Steve Harper puts it, the heart of Christian perfection is in the will, not in one's action. Actions vary while intentions can remain constant. Our actions are more consistent when our motives are fixed. It is out of the heart where deeds are expressed. Here, he also references Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, which says, Good people bring out good things from their good treasure, but evil people bring out evil things from their evil treasure. When our hearts are in the right place, our actions will follow. This relates to how we grow as individuals. As we get older, the desires of our heart change. The more we understand the world, the more we see what we want in it. The same is true for our faith. As we learn more about God, we seek to know more and mirror what God has put in our hearts. Paul brings this up in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesus was the epicenter for Greek and Mormon worship of gods during Paul's time. And over the span of two years, maybe even three, he built a ministry there, converting people to Christianity. This letter is said to be written about six years after Paul left, while he is yet again in prison. In this letter, Paul also speaks of this maturity in our faith. In Ephesians 4, 10-15, Paul says, The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ. Paul tells us that our goal, and God's goal, is to become mature adults, mature in our understanding of God. He adds that as a result of this maturity, we aren't swayed by false teaching. Another result that I see is that by having this maturity, we also grow closer to God, and when we are closer to God, our hearts reflect that, and as a byproduct of that reflection, our actions will be inspired by the intention of our hearts. It may be a stretch, but I believe that's how John Wesley saw the idea of Christian perfection. Steve Harper calls Christian perfection an experience to grow in, and I think we could all agree that growth comes with its ups and its downs, but growth and growth in Christ are a journey worth taking.
To wrap things up, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I believe I first came across the term in the Asbury University article. And after my immediate no-one-can-be-perfect response and reading into the part about maturity, it made sense to me. And for me, it brings clarity to our Christian walk because it acknowledges our imperfection and inability to be flawless while recognizing the need to grow closer to God. So, I hope you're enjoying the series so far. We've still got a few more episodes to go, so stay tuned. Any sources mentioned in this episode will be in the description below. If you haven't already, join the Citrus Church Grove Facebook group. It's a great way to connect with one another and stay up to date on all things Citrus. And with that, we'll catch you next time. 